As others are coming in and we keep our seats to sing, let's sing 331, sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. We're going to sing just a few hymns by way of community singing before we come to the opening hymn. There's coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye.
by by stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Just before we come to the opening hymn 304, we're never, never weary of the grand old song, Glory to God, Hallelujah. Tonight is 6:11. My heart can sing when I pause to remember a heartache here, but it's but a stepping stone along a trail that's winding ever upward. This troubled world is not my final home. We'll stand this time to sing. <laughs> 
Let's all pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your house tonight as a people who love the Lord. There's no other place that we would rather be than in God's house on a Sunday night to praise your name, to glory in Christ, to fellowship with those of like precious faith, to sing the songs of Zion, and we've been brought, Lord, to consider that day, and there's coming a day, a day when we will leave this life and will go home to glory, those of us who are saved. But until then, may our hearts and our lives radiate for Christ. May we go on singing, rejoicing, praising God, worshiping Him, faithful to Him in our witness and testimony that we give. We pray that you will bless this congregation and be pleased to enlarge it. Your word speaks about enlargement, stretching out to the right hand and to the left. And Father, we pray that there'll come a day when every pew will be filled, when you will awaken men and women and families in this very town in which we live to the reality of the worship of God, the necessity to be at God's house on your day that you've set aside. You've given to us so much, and we pray that even our community will, will understand the very life that they have is a gift from God. For in Him we live, we move, we, we have our being. God is the one who has given to us the breath of life ever since that first day when He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. And to all who have descended from him, Lord, thou art the author of life. And we thank you for the gift of life. And a life that ought to be lived for the Lord, who is our creator, our maker. The one who has redeemed his people from sin. We have been bought with a price, as we thought about this morning, and therefore we're not our own. Help us, therefore, to get our priorities right every day, to serve the Lord, to labor, as the hymn writer said, for the master from the dawn till setting sun, to talk of all his wondrous love and care. There's so much to talk about. But when it comes to the things of God, sometimes we are silent when we ought to speak. Lord, forgive us for those times when we hold our tongue and give us a holy boldness, Lord, and in these days which are ahead, to, to stand up, stand up for Jesus as soldiers of the cross, and to make known the mystery of the gospel, and to preach Christ to a, a dying world. Lord, we pray for a definite move of God in this day and generation in which we live. Thou art the God of revival. You visited this, this kingdom in times past. You've moved in this very province in the wonder of your power. We think of the 1859 revival. We think of the days of Nicholson. We think, Lord, even of what you have done in missions that have been held through the length and breadth of this land. We think of your blessings upon the free church. Missions where not just two or three were converted, but hundreds of people came to know the Lord. Now we recognize that God has not changed. We have changed. Men have changed. For thou art the unchanging and unchangeable God. You said yourself, I am the Lord, I change not. And therefore we come to this unchanging God tonight and we pray that you will do your exploits today, that you will move with power in this country, 
that you will bring our people to see their need of God's salvation. And may there be a mighty turning to God. We pray that not only individuals, but even entire families will be converted to Christ. Bless the ministry of Sunday school. Bless the youth challenge on a Tuesday night. Bless our young people who gather here on a Friday night for the study of your word, for fellowship together. And how, Lord, we thank you for the prayer meeting on Friday evening. And Lord, you moved in the hearts of those young people and you helped them to pray. There's so much to be thankful for tonight. And we want to acknowledge your mercies to us. Bless us in the incoming week with all that is before us. Some will be at work, some of our young people at school, others at university. Others will be in their homes, and we just pray wherever we are, we'll serve the Lord with gladness, and we'll bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will abound in your work, that we will be good examples to others, that they might see in us Christ and follow him. Remember the sick of the church that we've been contemplating already today, thinking about them. We commend them to your grace. We pray for the touch of the Lord in his healing power. Pray for Lydia as she starts her treatment on Friday. We remember those in hospital belong to the church here. Lord, minister to their needs. And bless them just where they are, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's sing together what gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. Let's stand to our feet.
to Hebron tonight. Glad to see all who have come and those that are tuning in on the internet, welcome to you also. Refreshments will be served after tonight's meeting. We trust that you're able to stay and be with us for a little time. In the morning, the Hebron Tots meets at 10 o'clock. And on Monday, it's the funeral of Winnie Laverty. Do remember that funeral service in the Jubilee Complex of the Martyrs at 11.30. Tuesday evening is the Youth Challenge at 7 o'clock. And the school's ministry continues this week on Thursday. In the afternoon, going to the model uh, for Scripture Union. Remember us as we go there. Christina should be there also. In the evening time, it's our deputation service. It's our missionary meeting. That's at 8 o'clock. And we're thinking about Emmanuel Christian School. Heard a little bit about it this morning. And the blessings of God upon it. Children that have done well in their exams, both of the O-level stage and also in the primary seven year. So we rejoice in what the Lord has been doing through Noreen and the others that are there. And we look forward to hearing the report and seeing the DVD presentation on Thursday night and whatever else Jonathan has to say to us. Because it is the last Thursday of the month, we pray for missionary work and we pray for revival. So keep that in mind as you come. Come prepared to remember these things before the Lord especially. The Youth Fellowship has a special night at 8 o'clock on Friday. And our brother Greg Gibson will be speaking on the special subject, Understanding Islam. And this is the wee invite that you can share and get it out there to as many young people as possible. It's a very important subject in the climate in which we live Friday night is also presbytery for the elders, and that will take place in Macrofeltry Church. Saturday morning is the open air in the center of the town, 11 o'clock. Come and join with us. Next Lord's Day begins with prayer, 8 o'clock. Sunday school, 10.30. Bible class at a quarter to 11. Worship service, 12 noon. And then family night at 7, when Margaret Cameron will be here to testify. We're asking you to make it known. Uh, it's not a physical copy of an invitation, but you can share it in your WhatsApp. You can share it on Facebook, whatever other means. Get it out there and let people know and invite them to come. Supper will be served. And ladies, we're asking you to bring half a loaf of sandwiches and a dozen buns. I know the mission board's looking forward to celebrating 50 years. And they're celebrating that by conducting some special mission conference meetings, which will take place in Lisbon from the 6th through to the 9th of March. <clears throat> Some of those nights conflict with other things, we know, but whatever ones you can get to, please go. Wednesday night, the Reverend Mercer will be speaking. The Thursday night, the Reverend McKee. Friday night, the Reverend McMillan. Saturday night, uh, our moderator, the Reverend Samuel Murray, and others will take part and various reports will be given. Please continue to pray for the need in our Christian school that the, the staffing need will be met at this time. These are all the announcements to make tonight. We bring our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And today is Home Mission Outreach Envelopes. Let's sing together 598. <clears throat> face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face what will it be when with rapture I behold him. Jesus Christ, he died for me. Mm -hmm. 
Heber seats for the offerings. be seated. Bible reading tonight is 2 Timothy 4 and the opening eight verses of the chapter 2 Timothy and the chapter 4. <coughs> I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom 
Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at, the last, at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Let's take a moment to pray again. Father, we thank you that our Savior is coming again. And for those who know the Savior, we can say that we love his appearing. And we look forward to that day when Jesus will come in power and great glory. We thank you for this epistle, for the counsel of the great apostle to the younger man, Timothy, a son in the faith. And as we look at it tonight and we, we take this subject that we're going to look at, speak to our hearts. Lord, we believe there's a message for everyone here and all that are listening in tonight. But we need to hear that message. Take away distractions. Take away the wandering mind. Help our thoughts to be centered upon the Word and what God is saying. Indeed, help us just to lift our hearts now and pray, speak, Lord, and help us to listen and apply the Word to our hearts. Give me the help that I need. Lord, stand with me. Holy Spirit, fill me. And may God be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Taking for our text tonight, the last three verses that we've read, verse 6 through to verse 8 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're asking this question, what would you like to say at the end of the journey? And the end of the journey will come. It matters not who we are, rich or poor, old or young, righteous or unrighteous, high or low, wise or foolish, healthy or sick, their journey will come to its conclusion. We're not here forever. This world is it's not our home. Here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And there is an appointment to keep there'll come that moment when every one of us will say to the Lord, the day thou givest, Lord, has ended. 
We will enter the portal of death into the great expanse of eternity. Our journey will have ended and our eternity just begun. As I read this passage of Scripture, I, I couldn't help think about this subject. What would you like to say at the end of the journey? <clears throat> of course, you may not get the opportunity to say anything because you might, like so many thousands of others, be cut off in a moment's time without warning. But if you did, you have the opportunity because you know that death is coming near, like the case of the Apostle Paul. He's going to be executed. Or through old age, sickness, whatever it might be, if you had the opportunity, what would you like to say right at the end of your life? The testimony here is recorded or recorded in 2 Timothy 4 belongs to the great apostle Paul. At one time, he was a fierce persecutor of Christians. And then he became one himself. He had the as we sometimes call it, the Damascus Road experience. That was the day when he came to know Christ. And his life was transformed radically. <clears throat> he became one of the greatest Christians ever to live in this world. God called him to be a preacher of the gospel. He developed into one of the greatest theologians, church planters, soul winners, and missionaries of all time. And he became a prolific writer of letters, indeed writing over half of the New Testament books. Second Timothy is thought to be his final epistle, and he's writing it to his young son in the faith, giving his last words of counsel, instruction, warning, and exhortation. It's likely that this letter was written from Rome between 65 and 67 AD. Paul <clears throat> suffered two imprisonments uh, in Rome at the end of his life. And it was during the second imprisonment that this letter was written. In his first imprisonment, he had a certain degree of, of liberty and freedom. His friends were able to come and visit him. He enjoyed wonderful times of fellowship with them. But this time, this second imprisonment, he is in close confinement. <clears throat> and his friend Onesiphorus had difficulty finding him. We know that because of what we read back in chapter 1 and verse 17. Uh, when he was come to Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and he found me. So it took a little bit of time for Onesiphorus to find the Apostle Paul, his friend, because he was in this close confinement. His friends were not able to come and see him just like they did before. Indeed, there were very few friends that stood with him. He had been deserted by many of his former associates. If you look at chapter 1 again and, and verse 7 and verse 15, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. And he mentions two individuals, of whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. He not only had been deserted by many of his former associates, 
but he was expecting pretty soon to be led out to the executioner and his life to be taken from him. My departure is at hand. He, he speaks about that in our text tonight. So there is a sad feeling of, of loneliness running throughout this epistle. And therefore, it's not surprising that, that he was very anxious to see his beloved friend, Timothy. Facing certain death for Nero's henchmen would march to his prison cell and drag him out to be martyred for his faith in Christ. How did he feel? What were the thoughts in his mind? What did he say at the end of his journey? Well, it's recorded here in his last known testimony. And this is what he says from verse 6 to 8. I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. <clears throat> you know, my friends, there is only one way to die that guarantees peace. And where there's certainty about your future. And that is to die in Christ. As one who is soundly converted, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, knowing Christ as your Savior and journeying to the mansions bright in heaven. I'm certain that this is the testimony of many tonight in, the, in this service. As I look down across the meeting tonight, many of you know the Lord, many of you love the Lord, you're walking with God, and this is your testimony. And it's probably so with many that are listening in to the service this evening. But it's not the testimony of everyone there are some people that are gathered here tonight and there are others that are listening in. Just very simply, they're not saved. They don't belong to the Lord. And so for them, they are still in their sin. They're far from God. And they are heading as fast as their feet can carry them to the blackness of darkness forever. It's our prayer, even as we think about the subject tonight, that God will speak to such. That He'll speak to you that he will challenge you in the things of God and that he will create that work in all of our hearts that we will number our days and apply our hearts to wisdom. That's how we ought to live, number our days. Realize that, that our days are short upon this scene of time and give our hearts to wisdom, how we ought to live, how we ought to walk. And indeed, if you're a Christian, to have a good testimony at the end of the journey, to be able to say something like, what Paul is saying here. What would you like to say at the end of the journey? Well, let, let's look at what the apostle had to say at the end of his journey. And I want you to notice, first of all, that there is a reflection about the past. And we have it in the center verse of our text. It's verse 7, where the apostle says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Looking back over the, the years of his Christian life and his preaching ministry, Paul could state these words with absolute confidence. He declares three particular facts 
about his life as a believer. The first one being, I have fought a good fight. The child of God is in a war. He's a soldier of Jesus Christ. There are many battles to fight. There are numerous foes to face, <clears throat> chiefly the three that we refer to often, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we must contend with these foes throughout our pilgrimage on earth. Every single day, at every turn in life, in every circumstance, whether it's good or bad, the enemies will assail us. Remember Paul writing to the Ephesians reminded them in Ephesians 6 and 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Paul fought many a battle. He was engaged in many a war. He was valiant for the truth, and he endured hardness as a good soldier. Think of the opposition and persecution that he had to face continually in his ministry. Think of the, the disappointment that he had with, with fellow laborers. John Mark, for one, for whatever reason, forsook him on the mission field for a period of time. Paul was not happy with that, but we know that at the end of his life, the two men were reconciled. But he must have been so disappointed in John Mark and, and what he had done and how he left the mission field. Think of Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, said Paul, having loved this present evil world. And there are many others, and he, he speaks about so many that had forsaken him. Indeed, he speaks in this chapter about a man by the, by the name of Alexander who had done him much harm. And these things must have been a great disappointment to the great apostle. And then there were problems in the churches. We've sometimes referred to Paul as being a kind of moderator who had the care of all the churches, and there were problems, as there still can be problems in churches today, and there were certainly problems back then in Paul's time that he had to address. He had his own personal battles in his own flesh, for example. We touched on this this morning in Romans chapter 7, where he speaks about that war that was raging within him, things that he wanted to do that he didn't do, things that he did that he shouldn't have done. And there was that raging battle within his own flesh that he had to contend with. And that was a battle. He had to contend with infirmity in the flesh, whatever it was. He called it a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know for sure what it was, but it may have been blindness, or he was going blind. He couldn't see like he he used to be able to see, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of material that would suggest that that might have been so. And then he must have battled with discouragement when he was shipwrecked and stoned and beaten, imprisoned and robbed. He spoke about false brethren. He spoke about weariness, painfulness, hunger, of being thirsty and of being cold and naked in that list that he gives in 2 Corinthians 11. And now at the end of his life, as a weary, worn soldier, maybe having suffered battle fatigue, pondering the multiple 
conflicts and the spiritual warfare, he speaks with contentment and peace in his soul. And he's able to declare, I have fought a good fight. The second statement that he makes is, I have finished my course. Throughout his ministry, Paul used the picture of the race and of the Christian being an athlete in that race. Let me just give you some of the, the references where these are, are mentioned by the apostle. Philippines chapter 3, I will read with you 12 to 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the athlete. That's the runner. Here's a man in the race. He's pressing toward the mark. We think of Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. You can just picture in your mind how Paul is gathered on the shore. He's taking his leave, now journeying towards Rome for his final years. He's saying farewell to the Ephesian elders saying goodbye for the last time to them. There's a lot of tears on the shore that day. But part of what he had to say is here in Acts 20 and verse 24, where he says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus and that was to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Finish my course. There's the runner. There's Paul in the race. We think of 1 Corinthians and the chapter 9 and verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain as he's exhorting the Corinthian believers to keep up the Christian life and to keep going on with God and to keep on running for him. And then that lovely verse in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, as he looks unto Jesus, the, the author and finisher of his faith. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Let us run. The athlete. Well, Paul is now on the home stretch. He's in the last meters of the race, if you like. The finish is before him. And Paul states, I have finished my course. Oh, there were many obstacles to trip him up. There were many fellow athletes who had stopped running. There must have been days of spiritual tiredness, as it would be in the physical race. The physical runner gets tired and 
Sometimes in the Christian race, we get tired also. And that must have been the case for Paul. But he kept on running. He never gave up. He strove toward the prize. He kept his eyes on Christ. He, he wrote to the Galatian church where some members had been hindered in the race. <clears throat> ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should obey the truth? And that can be said of some Christians today. You did run well. My, you were going on with God. You were fervent in the things of the Lord. You never missed a night of outreach. You never missed a prayer meeting. You never missed a witness. You never missed a service. But what happened? Who or what hindered you that you didn't continue to run the way that you should have? But not so about Paul. He finished his course. And here he states it. Right to the end, he kept going. Right to the end, he kept running. And then the third testimony that he makes about his past, he says, I have kept the faith through his long, eventful years of service. Despite the pain, despite the difficulties, the oppositions, the, the conflicts, the dangers, and the temptations, Paul had kept the faith of Jesus Christ that had been committed to him. He never shied away from confessing Christ and preaching the gospel and defending the faith, even when death stared him in the face, whether it was from the Jews or from the Gentiles, for there were many, many persecutions. Paul held fast with courage and perseverance his faith right to the end. I'm sure as he writes these things, he, he writes them for the encouragement and for the instruction of Timothy. Don't you? He's really saying to Timothy, this is how it's been for me. I have been able to do these things by the grace of God. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And I think he's really saying, Timothy, you do the same. This is the way to live your life. And he's not only writing it for the benefit of Timothy, but I think it's for our benefit too. Child of God, here is, if you get the opportunity at the end of your life to be able to, to speak some words, as you look back over your life, what would you want to be able to say? I'm sure you'll want to say something like this. So here's the way to live. Here's the way to walk with God. And this is what you'll be able to say like Paul if you do so. A reflection about his past. And then, secondly, as you look at verse 6, there's an affirmation about his present. Right now, he says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. When you come to the end of the journey, you want to be able to say something like this, don't you? I am ready. I'm now ready. Paul is saying here, I'm ready to die. And there's a very powerful application here in the gospel. Because you must be ready when you come to the end of the journey, when you come to leave this life, when you enter into the portals of death, when you take your flight out into the, the great expanse of eternity. You need to be ready for that journey. Knowing it's well with your precious, immortal soul. For Jesus said, be ye also ready. In his parable of the ten virgins, only the ready ones went into the marriage 
reminding us it's only the ready ones that will be received. Only the ready ones will go to heaven to be with the Lord. And so, my friends, you need to be ready for death and eternity. The only acceptable state of readiness is to be found in Christ, to have trusted in Him and His merit at the cross. It is to be standing upon the rock, the foundation of our faith. Are you ready? Can you say, I am now ready? But of course, Paul was saying much more than I am now ready to die. He is stating here, and I want you to note it carefully, I am now ready to be offered. You see what he's saying? The actual thought here is that Paul was ready for a violent death because the language here, if you were to, to look into the, the Greek, it really means I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That's the thought here. The idea of a, a drink offering is first presented back in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 14 where Jacob poured out a drink offering before the Lord as a sacrifice. In the Mosaic law, drink offerings could be part of a sacrifice to the Lord. You think of Exodus 29, verses 40 and 41. We think of Leviticus 23, verse 13. And there's even a Roman thought here because every Roman, or at every Roman meal, it ended with a small sacrificial ritual to the gods. A cup of wine was taken and poured out before the gods. And so, in this sense, and Paul was a Roman, he might maybe borrowing from, from that thought. He is saying the day is done, the meal is just about over, and I am being poured out unto God. And so Paul was already being poured out. His, his head was not on the executioner's block just yet, but his heart was there. He was ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. The sentence of death had already undoubtedly been passed upon him. And he's saying, I'm ready now. I'm, I'm, I'm being poured out now. I'm ready for my death. I'm ready for this violent death as I go to be executed, as I go to be martyred. Paul says here, the time of my departure is at hand. Paul felt that he was in the airport and his flight to heaven was, was ready to depart. He was just waiting on the boarding call. Many of you have sat in the, the airport. You know what I'm talking about. The thought here is actually do with, to do with the ship and its moorings. Not departure. The lifting up of the cables or the ropes that have tied the ship to the harbor. And he's saying the time of my departure, the time of lifting up those those ropes, and setting sail into the sea, into eternity, it's at hand. It's near for me. When you come to die, what will be your affirmation about the present? Will you be able to say, like Paul did here, for I'm now ready, ready to be offered I'm ready for the moorings to be lifted and for me to set sail into eternity because it's well with me. I'm saved by the grace of God. I know it's well. And then thirdly, as you look at verse 8, there is this declaration 
about his future. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. So the future was a bright one for the apostle. There is laid up for me. And praise God tonight, it is so for every child of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ. The future is sweet. It is beautiful. There is laid up for me. We could just take that sentence and, and think about it because there is laid up for me so much. So much treasure in heaven, a mansion fair, a city bright, a savior upon his throne of majestic splendor, the happy estate of those who know Christ. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Oh, what a future we have, a bright one, a glorious one. Paul speaks about a crown of righteousness that was laid up for him, that would be handed to him by the Lord himself, the righteous judge. The apostle knew that there was a crown waiting for him in heaven, and he was ready to receive it. He was certain of it. There were two, or there are two main words for crown in the New Testament. One refers to a royal crown, and the other refers to the, the victor's crown, the Stephanus. Here Paul referred to the victor's crown, the crown that was essentially a trophy, recognizing that one had, had competed according to the rules and had won the victory. Before Paul was a Christian, he, he oversaw the execution of the first martyr, Stephen, and then he sought to kill as many other Christians as possible. But now at the end of his life, he was ready to receive a crown, a Stephanus. It was likely that he remembered the name of the first martyr, Stephen. Some Christians, you know, worry <clears throat> unnecessarily, and I have to say stupidly, about their crown. What if I don't get a crown? What if my crown is not a big one, just a little one? What if the Lord is not pleased with me? He's disappointed with me. You know, those things should never cross our minds. Rather, we should be busy just serving the Lord and glorifying God, uh, and our crown will take care of itself. Anyhow, we're, one day we're going to cast the crown at Jesus' feet. I believe that. Some people wonder if, if you're going to walk around heaven every day with crowns on your head, uh, and everyone will be noticing who's got the bigger one, who's got the smaller one. It'll be nothing like that. In Revelation 4 and, and 10, we, we read about the elders that surrounded the throne of God and how that they, they take off their crowns and they cast them at the feet of Jesus, giving any trophy that they have received back to him. And I think we'll do the same. So don't worry about the crown. Really what the language is telling us here is there is a reward for the people of God in the future. There's something to look forward to with certainty. You look back and you say, I've fought the good fight, finished the course, kept the faith, I'm now ready to go. 
And praise God as I go, there's everything to look forward to as a redeemed child of God. Heaven ultimately will be a most wonderful and blessed place. Are you going there? I think that's the question to ask just as we finish tonight. Are you going to heaven? Will you say something like what Paul said at the end of his life about his past, about his present, and about his future? If you get the opportunity to say anything at all, will this be the language that you use? I trust it will be as a child of God. And then for some of you, you're not going to heaven because you're not saved. And you don't have this testimony and you're not going to be able to say anything like this at the end of the journey. What you need to do is to come to Christ. Receive him. Accept him. Acknowledge him. Turn to him in repentance and faith. And come to know him. Whom to know is life eternal. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we thank you for such a splendid testimony that Paul had at the end of life. And how he was able to speak these words with confidence, and they're put into the written word for us to know, that we might be encouraged and challenged by them. We pray that every believer here will labor towards this, that we will aim for a good testimony, so that when we come to the end of the journey and are able to speak anything, that we'll be able to speak something like this. And then for those who do not know Christ and do not have this testimony and certainly will not be able to speak these words, Lord, show them their need tonight. May they turn to a dying Savior or a Savior who has died and risen again for our salvation and justification and come to know him. My voice, Lord, will be silent just in a few moments. But there is a voice that speaks on, and that's the blessed Spirit of God. Lord, will you speak on tonight until men and women, young people, yield themselves to God, come to know Christ as Savior for Jesus' sake. Amen. 242, sinner, how thy heart is troubled. Is it trouble tonight? Has God spoken through his word? I trust he has. God is coming very near. Do not hide thy deep emotion. Do not check that falling tear. And the great message of this hymn is, O be saved, his grace is free. O be saved, he died for thee.
Lord, we thank you for the death of Christ upon the cross, that death that purchased eternal salvation for those who would believe. And the message is, oh, be saved, his grace is free. Oh, be saved, he died for thee. And may there be salvation. Speak to hearts now as we dismiss the meeting. Bring sinners to the Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.